Now I'm going to be reading our first reading for today, which is from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king? Over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it really is a beautiful morning out there. If you haven't had a chance to get outside just yet, a little chilly, but another glorious sunny day. Uh, and sadly, it comes in the context of lockdown. Uh, but what I want to do with you this morning, uh, I want to begin by sharing with you live, uh, you know, in our church context, um, a phobia that I have, a quirky phobia, uh, and it's a fear of cornflower, of all things. Uh, and it's not, it's not a, like a debilitating fear, so I can still go into the kitchen, in a, you know, I don't sort of shiver whenever I go into the kitchen, but if I have to use it in, <coughs> excuse me, if I have to use it in a recipe and handle it, I don't know, are there any of you out there who just, it really sends a, a shiver down my spine, handle, handling it. Jane is saying she has that problem as well. Uh, and it's just a funny thing. I've, I've noticed it with tapioca flour as well. I'll put it there for you for later, Jane. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, we live in a world where there are all sorts of fears and phobias we have, some of them with good reason, 
uh, and some of them are strange and hard to explain. Five years ago, uh, the Pew Research Centre did a worldwide survey of people's fears worldwide. And they came up with the top five fears worldwide. Um, and it was interesting, where you live made a difference in terms of which was the top fear. So Africans were most concerned about infectious diseases because five years ago, AIDS and Ebola were the big ones worldwide. Uh, now, with the COVID pandemic, I'm sure uh, that fear has kind of gone far more global. Uh, the Middle East was most concerned about religious and ethnic warfare and terrorism. Uh, and what a tragedy this week uh, to see the fall of Afghanistan to the Taliban. Uh, and I know that that will raise and heighten fears about uh, violence and warfare and terrorism even further. In Europe and the United States, inequality was the greatest fear. Uh, and since then, there have been uh, uh, some big worldwide movements like the Black Lives Matters, uh, like uh, the Me Too movement, addressing some of these inequalities. South America was most concerned about nuclear weapons and Asia most concerned about pollution and the environment and global warming and so on. What you can see is that even pre-COVID, our world had many things causing fear. And what, hive, ho, uh, what COVID does is kind of heighten those fears. And, and so we live in a kind of a sea of anxiety for some of us. Now, here's the good news. The good news is how often God's word says, says to us, do not fear. Now, I wonder if one of you can chase it down during the week and let us know. How many times in the Bible does it say, do not fear? I know it's on the lips of Jesus, often on the lips of angels. God says it time and time again, do not be afraid. In a world where there are so many fears, God calms our fears. He stills our hearts. He brings peace. He is loving in his reassurance and his comfort uh, and the confidence he wants us to have, his protection. Uh, so that's what God wants us to hear today. God wants us to hear of his loving protection in the face of our fears. So how about I lead us in prayer to that end right now? Let's pray. God, our Father, you know our fears you know the things that make us anxious. Help us to hear your word today. Please bring us genuine hope, reassurance and confidence and protection, both now and always. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 uh, challenges the way we view the world. So remember, Israel were a nation hard-pressed by enemies on every side, the Philistines, the Amalekites, uh, and so on. In their anxiety, they demand a king. They feel like a king will deal with these issues. We want a king like all the other nations has. Uh, and what we've seen is that that demand was a rejection of God as their king, but nevertheless, God gives them what they demanded. And God gave them 
Saul. Saul was the kind of king they were looking for, handsome, strong, tall. He was head and shoulders taller than anyone else, but Saul turned out to be a massive failure because despite his outward appearance, inwardly, he was a spiritual weakling. He was afraid of the enemy. He was afraid of public popular opinion. And he allowed those fears to lead him to disobey God on a number of occasions. Listen to Saul's own admission. In 1 Samuel 15, I have sinned, I violated the Lord's command and your instructions, I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. This is not the sort of king Israel needed, a king who is too fearful to trust God and obey him. And so in chapter 16, Saul is still officially king, but behind the scenes, God is raising up his chosen king. Uh, And he sends Samuel the prophet to the little town of Bethlehem to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as king. And notice Samuel's reaction when he sees the firstborn, the oldest son, Eliab. Samuel says, oh, Samuel thinks in his mind, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Eliab is a bit like Saul, an impressive hunk of manhood. I imagine he played second row for the Bethlehem Bulldogs. You know, and he was kind of the, like the guy that, you know, every man's hero and every woman's dream. Uh, if outward appearance count for anything, then surely, surely Eliab is to be king. But look at verse 7. So this is 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Or possibly even a better translation is the Lord, sorry, man looks with his eyes, but God looks with his heart. Our natural human instinct is to make superficial judgments. Uh, What we can see at a superficial level is the oldest, is the strongest, Uh, He's tall. But God loves to surprise us. God loves to choose the ones we least expect. And you follow it through the whole Bible, it's there all the time. You you think about the start of Israel with Abraham, right? He's almost 100 years old. His wife's 90 years old. They have had no children and are not able to have children. And God says, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And you think, how on earth is that going to happen? But that pattern of God choosing the one you least expect, continues to tickle through the whole Bible. So what happens next in this parade? Uh, Jesse brings out each of his seven sons, and they each stand before Samuel, but not one of them is chosen by God. And so Samuel asks Jesse, are you sure you don't have any others? Uh, And yes, we learn Jesse does have another son, the youngest, but he wasn't invited to the feast, the poor youngest child. Right? Uh, he's the Cinderella of Jesse's family. He's out in the paddock watching the sheep. And so Samuel says, no, we're not going on until you fetch David. And so verse 12, he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This 
is the one. Now, I, I can really relate to David. You know, the name is the starting point. He's, he's the youngest. You know, he's the one that people least expect. Uh, and yet, he's handsome. You know, and, 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 it, and it shows you that even though God's not all about, you know, looks, uh, you don't have to be ugly to be chosen by God. Uh, and so, um, David is anointed with oil. Uh, anointing is how you consecrate a new king. You pour oil over their head. Uh, the, the king is called the anointed one, which, is, which in Hebrew is the Messiah. And in Greek, it's the word the Christ. Uh, and the pouring of oil over the head was symbolic of what God was doing, pouring out his spirit on this chosen one. And the spirit of God, we're told in verse 13, comes upon David powerfully and remains on him. Here is God's empowered, chosen king. Now, a thousand years after David, a descendant of David was born in the little town of Bethlehem. And most people had no idea what was going on. But this little baby, born in a stable, he was the one chosen by God the one chosen to be God's forever king, his Messiah, Jesus Christ. And although he grew up to miraculously heal many and to teach with profound authority, he was dismissed, despised, rejected, crucified, spat on, mocked, and ultimately killed. In the eyes of the world, Jesus died a loser. But what matters is not how the world sees things. What matters is how God sees things. Uh, and the resurrection was God's declaration to the world that this Jesus is my king, the Messiah, the eternal Christ. Uh, when so many in our world, I don't know if you've noticed, but in our world today, so many continue to mock and dismiss Jesus in such a superficial way. And when that happens, don't be surprised. This has always been the way it's been. This has always been the way God works. He chooses the one you least expect. And it's always been the way humans have responded is by being quick to dismiss without digging below the surface. So if you're watching today and you don't know what to make of Jesus, I want to urge you, Look beyond the superficial. Right? Uh, go a little deeper. Don't, don't be like so many in our society who dismiss Jesus so lightly without ever really engaging with what he said, with what he did, and so on. If you want to um, find out more, join us for the Life Series, which is taking place in about two months' time. Uh, whether or not we're you know, physically gathering together, we'll make it happen. And we'll investigate the claims of Jesus and you can give it good, thoughtful consideration. And I pray that you discover what so many of us have discovered, that Jesus is God's promised, chosen Messiah, the one true hope for a fearful and broken world. Now we're going to skip over now to chapter 17, where we're introduced to the Philistine champion Goliath and Aaron's going to read uh, the start of that chapter for us. 
Our second reading for today is from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verses 1 to 11. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socho in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Demim between Socho and Azekar. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I remember back in year 10 at school, um, I was 16 years old, and a guy named Jim arrived in in our year of school. Uh, He was 18 years old, coming into year 10. Uh, He was about the same height as me, but he was rippling with muscle, you know, a solid six foot, Uh, whereas a lot of my friends probably would have described me as skinny and weedy, although I preferred like lean like a greyhound. Uh, But but anyway, so there was was quite a difference in our stature, Uh, and he was a black belt in karate, and I had utterly no experience or fighting abilities. But one day, I got under his skin. I don't know how this happened, but anyway, I got under his skin and he announced to you know, our classmates that after the buzzer that day, there was going to be a fight between me and Jim. It's like, oh man, I've spent the rest of my day in dread uh, of what was going to happen. Uh, if, if you want to know the end of the story, you can ask me another time. But that was nothing like the intense fear that Saul and the men of Israel experienced that day in the valley of Elah. Goliath was a Philistine, the enemy, and he was huge. Uh, If he was on a basketball court, his helmet would have grazed the ring. That's how big he was. Um, He, to dunk, he didn't even need to leave the ground. He could have just, you know, just plopped it, Plop the ball in the ring. Anyway, he wasn't long, skinny, weedy. He was a muscle-bulging warrior. Just the armour, we're told, the armour that he wore weighed 60 kilo. And I, like, I, I don't mind this picture up on the screen, but um, I reckon um, the armour would have even seemed more impenetrable than that. It would have looked like he, basically a tank was kind of rolling out into the middle of the field, impenetrable, uh, impossible to beat. Uh, and he stood, 
Goliath stood between the two armies and taunted, taunted King Saul, taunted the armies of Israel. He says, choose a man to come down and take me on. Winner takes it all. Verse 10, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And notice verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They are filled with dread. Goliath was not some imaginary threat. He stood there in their line of sight day after day after day. And it was just like, what do you do with this guy? A real enemy with real power who made Saul and his men tremble in fear. Now, have you ever faced an enemy like that? One of the uncomfortable things about the Bible, about God's word, is that we are confronted with enemies, sometimes enemies that we can't see, and certainly enemies that we don't like to think about, like Satan and death. These enemies are not imaginary. They have real power so that we live our life in fear, fear of being exposed, fear of being put to shame, fear of death, and fear of what lies for us beyond death. William James uh, is, is described as one of the founding fathers of modern psychology, and he said this, death is the worm at the core of human existence. Now, just like you've got an apple with a worm at the core, death is the worm at the core of human existence. He said that fear of death is the fear underlying almost all human anxiety. So much so that our response is to desperately avoid thinking about death. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 15 says something similar. It describes humanity as living, as living captive to our fear of death. But the good thing about the Bible is it offers a solution. The Bible confronts us in order to give us good news of hope. And reassurance. And it's found in Jesus. Uh, and we're going to come to that in a moment. But before we unpack that, let's come back to the Valley of Elah, where we see a very different response. Uh, so you've had Saul and the armies and their response to Goliath. But now David arrives at the battle scene. He hasn't come as a soldier, he's still a shepherd, but he's also a delivery boy bringing supplies, cheese and bread, from their father Jesse to his older brothers who are there with Saul and the armies of Israel. And while Goliath is there, he sees Goliath in the valley mocking the Israelite army. He sees the Israelite army fleeing and terrified. And in verse 26, have a look there, David asks, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. And we're going to pick it up. So Samuel, Christy is going to read the book of Samuel uh, from verse 32 in chapter 17. I'll hand over to him. Hi, I'm Samuel. And today I'll be reading from 
Samuel chapter 17, verses 32 to 53. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord will be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David, David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around, but he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog, that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You, you come against me with this sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attacking, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward without a shout, with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Ekron. 
Their dead were strewn along the Sharaim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. So when um, Saul looks at David, he sees a kid. How, how could this kid possibly take on Goliath? But David is confident. He doesn't, um, so he's killed lions and bears before. He doesn't hesitate to take on this Philistine who mocks God and his people. Uh, you see, David is jealous for the honor of God and he believes in the power of God. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Such courage and confidence in this young man. So Saul sends him out. Saul tries to give him some protection. Saul gets his own armor, uh, his own kind of, you know, battle, uh, what he, a chest plate and so on, he, um, his own helmet and sword, but it's all too big for David. And the whole scene has an irony to it. You see, Saul was the closest thing Israel had to Goliath. Remember, he's head and shoulders above any of the other Israelites. He was the king. He was an experienced warrior. If anyone should have took on Goliath, it was Saul but he is too afraid. And so he sends out this courageous but uh, unarmed teenager with no sword, just a stick and a sling, five stones that he picks up in the creek along the way, and David approaches Goliath. And you can imagine the Israelite army's kind of, oh, you know, looking half wanting to turn away, but feeling like I have to watch what takes place here, but it's going to be bad. Um, and Goliath looks over at David and despised him in his heart. Am I a dog, says Goliath, that you come with me at me with a stick? And David replies, I come against you in the name of the Lord, whom you have defied. This battle is the Lord's. And they move towards one another. David reaches into his pouch, takes out one of his stones, puts it in his slingshot, slings it around, bang, hits Goliath in the forehead. It's, all, it's like the one kind of vulnerability. And he pierces right through to the forehead. And it's all over so quickly. Goliath crashes down dead to the ground. And David doesn't have his own sword, so he goes and picks up Goliath's sword and hacks off Goliath's head. And did you notice what happens next? Now the Philistines flee in fear and the men of Israel now surge forward with a newfound courage. It's a great story. But what does it all mean for us? Well, we've already seen that we have an even greater enemy than Goliath. We have Satan, who, st who holds us captive to our fear of death. But along comes Jesus, dismissed, despised, rejected, and yet 
Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, by his death, Jesus breaks the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And he frees those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for all our sin. He washed all our sin and guilt and shame. He washed it away. The curse of sin is removed as we put our faith in Jesus. The power of Satan over us is broken. And we're set free from the dread of death and what lies beyond. Because death no longer has the final word. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so everyone who trusts in Jesus will also rise to eternal life. And just as the men of Israel were filled with a newfound courage, that ought to happen to us as well. I want you to listen to Romans chapter 8. It's all about the courage that Jesus brings us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, not even Satan, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, hey? Jesus is God's Messiah, our champion. His victory fills us with courage and hope to press on. We're still weak. We're still vulnerable. We're still fragile. We still get anxious and have our fears. But can you see that Jesus deals with our Goliaths, our greatest, most fearsome enemies? And Jesus is now with us by his Holy Spirit. And he wants us to cast our cares on him. He calls us to give all our fears and worries to him to rest secure in his protection and to press on in serving him. And so I'm going to pray to that end now. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, you know each one of us personally, intimately. You know our fears and failures, and we bring them to you today. Uh, we cast our cares on you. Please forgive us our sins. Through Jesus' death, wash us clean in your sight. Thank you for the promise that you will remove our sin as far as the east is from the west, that you remove our shame. Please bring peace to these anxious hearts of ours. Help us to rest secure in your fatherly care. Father, you promise eternal life beyond death to all who turn to Jesus. You promise protection for all who belong to Jesus. 
So stir our hearts to believe and live according to your promises. And Father, please fill us with courage to follow Jesus, to press on with him and the work that he has left us to do, confident that we are more than conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.